0: Welcome to the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. Hello, good morning, and welcome to the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. It is Monday, the 29th day of January, and uh, that's 2024 in case you're keeping track on the big calendar. I am not going to spend the entire morning edition of the Truth Hurts program. Talking about sleepy, creepy, touchy, feely, mumbling, fumbling, crumbling, tumbling, stumbling, bumbling, stuttering, stammering, muttering, puttering, fluttering, shuddering, mopey, dopey, hair sniffing, little girl gropey Joe Biden. Probably a refreshing thing for some of you who listen to the program and say, gee, that's all he does now is bash Joe Biden, despite Joe Biden's incompetence so let's move on international travel let's talk about going overseas if you're planning a trip out of the country i want to give you fair warning make damn sure your passport is current up to date and won't expire while you're out of the country good friend of mine is currently in a foreign country which shall remain nameless Because his passport expired in the middle of their trip. And now getting back into the United States is quite a problem for him. You see, in order for him to leave that country and go to the airport, he has to have valid travel documents. His passport is expired. And the airport in the nation where he is trying to get home from will not accept his valid Texas driver's license as a valid travel document. After all, he's in a foreign country, and he wants to come back home. So the nightmare for him has indeed begun. He has reached out to the U.S. State Department. He has reached out by phone to the office of his House of Representatives congressional member and to one of his two state, excuse me, United States Senators. Now, I'm planning on taking a small trip out of the United States. I'll be visiting some foreign countries, and my passport is very new. As a matter of fact, I just renewed my passport three weeks ago, and my scheduled trip out of the country is coming up quickly just uh, about eight weeks from now, maybe nine, that in and of itself presents a unique problem. For some of the nations that I'm planning on visiting, don't appreciate someone with a quote-unquote fresh new passport. For them, it raises red flags. Why is he suddenly getting a passport and suddenly visiting our nation? It's a valid question. I'm sure if tomorrow someone came into the United States of America fresh off the boat, pun intended, with a passport less than, let's say, three, four weeks old, might raise some red flags. Makes sense, right? But getting the new passport only last week and needing to obtain travel visas for these foreign lands is proving to be quite a pain in the old tushy. You see, when you get a passport from any nation, especially the United States, and you're visiting a country that's, let's say, not our best ally, you have to actually send your passport with an extra passport photograph and a completed signed visa application in that country's language to a visa expediting company. The one I'm using happens to be in Houston, Texas. If I had known months ago about this upcoming trip, I probably would have said no had I known all of these pitfalls and all of these hurdles and hoops that you must jump through We're going to be in the way of me making this trip, and listen, it's it's going to be a great trip all through Asia, and that's great, and many of my expenses are going to be paid for by my host, and that company that that host owns, so I can't complain about a free trip to four Asian countries. But I got my new passport. I filled out the visa application online. And I placed the passport and an extra photo and the visa application into a secure envelope. I even wrapped my passport in a Faraday shield, one of those little envelopes you can slip your passport into. And I sent it signature required on the other end. Excuse me. And then, after not hearing anything for an entire week, scratching my head, wondering if I had become the victim of some kind of passport scam, I reached out to the company in Houston, Texas, that handles expedited visas to this nation. And the man spoke very broken English and basically told me, you filled out the wrong application. So we need you to fill out the correct application. And we are now going to mail your documents, your passport, your extra photo back to you. When you receive them, you will now have to fill out the new application written entirely in that native language, by the way. So I needed an interpreter. Thank goodness I have a brother that speaks several languages of the countries of Asia and then you'll have to send the application and your passport back to us at our new address in Houston. You see, we moved to a different location. All of these things raising massive red flags with me. However, my brother who travels regularly to China, Korea, the Philippines, Shanghai, excuse me, uh, oh, what's the name of that country? Singapore, Korea, he travels regularly throughout the Asian countries. He said, don't worry about it, brother. This is the same company I use for my travel documents. So shaking my head and wondering what have I done here? I have now sent my passport to a company in Houston that doesn't speak very good English in hopes that I'll get all of my documents back in time to make my trip to Asia. Oh, and by the way, fair warning, you may not hear the Truth Hurts program for the first three weeks, the month of March. Don't panic. I'm still alive. The other fear hopped up this morning, popped up this morning, where I saw a journalist in Russia who was basically kidnapped, abducted by Russia, and the, uh, the journalist is currently being detained, and now it's been many months that this journalist has been detained, many months. And his release is being pushed back further and further, and my wonder is, what happens if I go to one of these foreign nations in Asia, and the same thing happens to me? They say, oh, we're going to get this guy, because he works for this agency, or this company, and we think he's doing something untoward. What happens? What happens to my job? What happens to my family? What happens to me? I'm just wondering. Out loud, of course. So that being said, make sure you have your travel documents in order before you travel to a foreign destination. Too early, too close to expiration could be a problem. Too late, too far uh, to get your new passport could also be a problem. Depending on which country you're planning on making your travel to could also be a problem. Friendly travel reminder from the Truth Hurts program. All right, let's move on to the infrastructure law that was signed into law by one who shall remain nameless today. How are those potholes? How are those potholes, my friends? Have they been fixed? I was driving through the city of New Orleans in the old F-250. Big wheels, big tires. I swerved at the last moment to miss a massive pothole. Thank goodness. The car, low tire pressure, Hmm, okay. The car ahead of me, I mean, excuse me, the car behind me, rather, did not swerve and I saw him hit the pothole And I watched the entire front end of his car. It looked like it it was getting ready to come off. Bumper and everything. It was unbelievable. I said, how in the hell is the city of New Orleans not fixing these potholes? It made no sense to me. They got millions, hundreds of millions of dollars from the government for infrastructure repairs. Massive water main breaks in the city. Massive water main breaks. Boil water notices. Oh, the water pressure's down because the water main broke. Now you got to bring your water to a rolling boil for at least two minutes to make it drinkable. Infrastructure. What's really funny to me is the infrastructure money that went to cities to buy these massive electric buses. I want to say the company's name is Proterra. I could be wrong on that. Um, Several cities who spent millions of dollars, some hundreds of millions of dollars, on clean burning, or not burning, clean running, energy efficient, electric buses, have had to sideline those buses, have had to put those buses in the bus barn. Even the slightest fender bender involving a bus could wreak havoc upon that bus's ability to ever run again. I'm not gonna mention the city's names, I don't have the list in front of me, but every one of the cities who has made the purchase of electric-powered buses now regrets doing so. And their immediate plans are to replace those electric buses with diesel or gasoline buses as soon as they get a little bit more money. They are not going to replace those buses with electric buses. Oh, the United States government Must be really pissed. Their lie, their joke, their agenda of electrifying their entire bus fleet by the year 2030 now just a puff of carbon away from being swept away for good. The electric car nightmare reality is coming home also for tens of thousands of Americans, maybe hundreds of thousands, who have made the mistake of investing. I say investing, that's a losing investment, who have made the mistake of buying electric cars. As they look and say, gee, I used to get 40,000 miles out of a set of radial tires. I'm only getting 22,000 miles out of a set of tires. What is wrong? What is going on here? <clears throat> it has come to the truth Hertz program that electric cars weigh a hell of a lot more than their gasoline or diesel counterparts. And therefore electric cars eat tires up like crazy in fact you can get as little as two-thirds life expectancy out of tires on an electric car because they are heavier they chew up tires easily and you won't feel it in the accelerator you won't feel it in the brakes you won't probably even feel it in the steering, because everything is electric. It's all run by wire instead of cables that give you that road feel, that connection to the street. But every time you turn your wheels, every time you spin your wheels with an electric car, you tear off more of the rubber, which, by the way, you can't see it's microscopically small little bits of rubber that are coming off and getting into the air for a few moments, some of those microplastics, some of those carbon deposits get into the atmosphere. We know most of them wash down into a storm drain, which usually drains right into a lake, a river, an ocean, a stream, a creek, even a ditch. Those microplastics are harmful to animal, plant, and human life. Tell me again how those electric cars are so good for the environment. Imagine your six-year-old grandson, six-year-old son, or six-year-old nephew, and I'm only picking on the boys because, well, primarily it's the boys, six years old, seven years old, that are being forced to mine For lithium, cobalt, and other minerals used to make electric vehicle batteries, usually by hand or with a very small hand shovel. Sometimes those children work 12, 13, 14 hours in a day with very little food, very little water, and they are expected to dig in the heat in the cold when it's dry or when it's wet when it's muddy or when it's dusty and you better damn well produce enough of the mineral we're telling you to dig for or there will be hell to pay but don't worry the six-year-old daughters granddaughters nieces cousins sisters they're not out of the woods so to speak They may not be digging by hand, but they are certainly carrying those small cups of water to those six-year-old boys. They're certainly carrying the bowl of porridge or whatever the hell those children are allowed to eat. You might feel like you're doing something positive for the environment, but you are not only enabling, you are forcing child labor to be abused, misused, children to lose their lives sometimes limbs sometimes certainly their health and their well-being oh but steve c if it were not for the child's labor the family might not get the one or two pennies per day that the child is earning and therefore the family might starve to death so what did those families do for food and for shelter and for water prior to mining for electric vehicle battery minerals. Don't hand me that crap. The bottom line is there is a human price that is being paid for each and every mile you drive in an electric vehicle. I always say here on the Truth Hurts program, follow the money. You see, Elon Musk is a very wealthy man. Despite his shift away from the Democrats and more towards conservatism, he runs one of the largest electric vehicle manufacturers in the world. You may have heard of them. Tesla, of course. And when you invest hundreds of millions, if not tens of billions of dollars, into something, You sure as hell don't want to lose money on your investment or have your investment go belly up. There was a conspiracy theory back in the 1970s. I remember it well. My neighbor was an auto mechanic at the time, automobile mechanic. My mother drove a Ford LTD Country Squire station wagon. You remember station wagons. Big giant behemoths that went down the road and had uh, wood panels attached to the sides. So it looked like they forgot to take the car out of the shipping crate. Cars back then were not fuel injected. They ran gasoline engines, of course, carburetors, naturally aspirated carbureted engines. The carburetor sat on top of the intake manifold and had a little flap that would open to allow air in as the fuel pump pumped fuel into the small jets, the Venturis of the carburetor. And that would then atomize or turn the gasoline into a mist as it went into the combustion chamber of the engine. If I'm getting too technical for you or you think I'm using the wrong terminology, I apologize. I'm just going back a few decades. Anyway, cars back then, especially LTD 1973 Country Squire station wagons were very large, very heavy, and not very fuel efficient. Not that we really cared about that until Jimmy Carter came along with his lie of the energy crisis and that Democrat president, the former first worst president in U.S. history, caused fuel prices to not only skyrocket, but forced the nation to ration gasoline as if we were really out. While the oil companies were dumping tens of thousands of gallons of gasoline into the desert, just dumping it out there because the storage tanks were actually full. And if the refineries shut down for even a day, It cost the refinery a whole hell of a lot of money to start back up. So it was easier to just keep producing gasoline and dumping it in the desert. But that's a story for another day, a history retrospective edition of the Truth Hurts Program, which we'll do in the near future. It's like we did last year. Anyway, I digress. They made this fake energy crisis in order to try and get mr carter a second term it didn't work it shouldn't work with this current president but again i digress the conspiracy theory in 1973 or 74 was that a man had invented a carburetor and an intake manifold that he put on a 351 ford engine 351 cubic inch ford engine That would allow that engine in a Ford Country Squire like mommy drove to get as much as 75 miles to the gallon under normal driving conditions. We were hopeful. We were amazed. This man was going to single-handedly negate Jimmy Carter's fake energy crisis. We heard about it. We read about it in different automotive publications. We saw reports about it on television and then suddenly we heard nothing it was radio silence the story was then written off as a conspiracy theory like the russia 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 was a hoax conspiracy theory when russia 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 turned out to be the truth you guys remember all of that Anyway, we never heard another word about the carburetor for many, many years until someone said, oh, yeah, 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 we, we knew all about that carburetor. But we're all into fuel injection these days. Carburetors are a thing of the past. Fuel injectors are more efficient than carburetors in general. So we don't even worry about that. By the way, it was said that the Ford Motor Company or General Motors had bought the patent and the prototype of that carburetor, stuck it on a shelf in a warehouse somewhere, never to be seen again. And the thoughts of a big 3,500 pound station wagon, a 4,200 pound station wagon, getting 75 miles to the gallon, simply vanished. Fast forward to 1981, I was working at a nuclear power plant, actually 1982, 1982, my apologies. I was introduced to the superintendent of electrical and electronic operations at a nuclear power plant. He was responsible for calibration of sensitive measuring and test equipment, and I got on board as a quality control, quality assurance inspector basically a clerical-type position where I looked over documents, checked them for accuracy, and then filed them away, probably never to be seen again. I was talking to some of the more learned, more educated, more experienced and certainly older technicians there, people who had experience in electronics, electricity, mechanical operations, sensitive nuclear power operations. And one gentleman showed me something. I forget how it got a hold of that. Because remember, this was 1982. All of our computers were green screen, monotone. We didn't have a cell phone in the palm of our hands to look at a video on demand. But this gentleman, his name was Ed. He said, listen, there's a guy in Mississippi who has invented something called the Newman engine." It's basically a perpetual motion device that uses magnetism, something I had thought about when I was four years old. You get a bunch of magnets all facing a certain direction, and then the object you're trying to move, the magnets face in the opposite direction so that both positives are facing one another. If you've ever pushed a a magnet positive to positive, you can push that magnet all around a tabletop. They'll never touch, depending upon the strength of the magnets and your accuracy with being able to use those magnets in that fashion. My thought was, gee, what if we had a round ball and we had all magnets with positive facing outward, and we put it into a round chamber with about three inches of clearance or two inches of clearance around all 360 degrees in every direction, positive magnets. Then all of those magnets would simply just float there, right? Everything would just float in that chamber. I thought about that when I was a kid. Well, Mr. Newman of Mississippi allegedly built a machine that used the same principle. All you had to do was set the magnets in motion, rotating. The other magnets from the side would keep that rolling wheel from moving left to right. And the magnets all around the top, bottom, and front, and rear of that rotating cylinder, once moved at the right angle would keep that thing spinning indefinitely in perpetuity forever. That was the thought. And you could put just enough resistance on it that you could use it as an engine to power a house. And supposedly somewhere in Mississippi, Mr. Newman invented and implemented such a device, powering his own home with a series of magnets wasn't even on the grid, but yet he had lights, he had television, he had radio, he had all of the comforts of home, and no electric bill. supposedly Mr. Newman tried desperately to keep the government and large corporations from getting his technology. He turned down multi-million dollar offers because he knew the companies were simply going to shelve his wonderful invention. They were in a thick, sticking on a shelf. He was found dead. His invention was never to be seen again. Conspiracy theory? Of course not. I said that quickly. I'll finish up here as we run out of time. There are better alternatives than lithium-ion batteries and cobalt mining by small children to power your car and that is right under the ground. We have cleaned up our act as far as emissions and carbon footprints and such. We have cleaned up our act over the years here in the United States. Gasoline and diesel engines much more efficient now than they ever were before, much less polluting than they ever were before. And then there's the thought of hydrogen powered cars. I'll leave you with that. Go out there and make it a great day. We'll see you next time on the Truth Hurts program.